to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome, and let's get started. Hello, listeners. Today is part two of our conversation with author Anna Retort, and we cover a wide range of topics, including ETs, the deep state, the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, and the word spell and etymology of the word matrix. And Anna has a unique perspective on the Russian-Ukrainian situation. She's someone who spent a good deal of time in Russia, and she understands the dynamic in a way that you won't hear about in our mainstream media. And what is emerging from all this is a similar-looking dynamic. Wherever you go on the planet, you can see all the signs of this sort of spiritual war taking place. I'm talking about the deep state sociopath psychopaths with their anti-humanist agenda on one side and we the people on the other. And you see it here, there, you see it everywhere, and you see it in the Russian. Ukrainian conflict. We are an emerging tribe and one that is starting to figure out who we are and who they are. Each lie in the media is becoming obvious to more and more people. The Great Awakening continues its inevitable momentum, its movement towards its ultimate victory for the good people on this planet. Enjoy the episode. My guest today is an author, anthropologist, linguist, and mystic. Anna Retort is the author of Krivda, God Tricks Against the Matrix, and is a kindred spirit living in rural Thailand. Here is my interview with author Anna Retort. You talk about ETs. You know, we, we've done, I've done some shows with some ET researchers. I've got some in the hopper as well. I've had an interest in that particular aspect. You know, it started off as just kind of, you know, I, I remember my listeners know that, you know, one of the first kind of esoteric occult things that came across my radar as a young man was the crop circles. You know, I was like, what in the hell are all these things, you know? And, and, and that kind of started my own curiosity. Uh, and then that led to, you know, not, not just myth and all that other stuff, but just like, you know, are, is there ETs? And then it led me to like the Anunnaki, uh, Zechariah Sitchkin, uh, his work, and then all, you know, David Icke, just everything that I came across in those particular rabbit holes. Um, and then I started to get really good writers like yourself and, and others that were putting together a tapestry that sort of showed that perhaps we've been, you know, interacting for a long time with the ETs. Uh, they're part of our history. They probably, you know, they're perhaps part of seeding our, our our species in some way, shape, or form, or contributing to it, maybe. And that there might be uh, particular races that are pro-humanity and particular races that are against humanity's um, self-realization, which kind of brings up like the Anunnaki myth of the brothers, you know, one one brother Enlil is constantly hammering at humanity, sends the flood, you know, is, you know, there's a correspondence there with Yahweh or with Yaldabaoth. And then there's another brother, Enki, that's that's pro-humanity that is looking to uh, to help humanity kind of ascend, if you want to say it that way. Um, so the story is very ancient. It's some of the oldest, uh, you know, the oldest cuneiform written language is from uh, is from the Sumerian pantheon. So it goes way back, and it's you know, there's a lot of parallels between that myth and the Bible, and um, 
you know, one of, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is that, you know, there's, uh, I think you said something about uh, the serpent. Uh, and it was in a way that made it sound like the serpent was tied to, you know, maybe uh, a particular entity or group that is, uh, that is working against us in some way, shape or form. But in a lot of the esoteric teachings, the, the, and I spoke about this with Anne Baring that the, the, uh, the serpent was always an ally in the esoteric readings, an ally of humanity that there was, um, it was assisting humanity to sort of break out of its self-imposed or its imposed uh, limitations of understanding and, and its limitations in consciousness that maybe were uh, given to us and then adopted by ourselves as almost like a self, uh, you know, uh, imprisoning ourselves with the way that we think about our place in the cosmos. So I, I guess I wanted to ask you specifically about the serpent. Is it pro-humanity? Is it against humanity as a symbol? Um, or is it more complicated that kind of could be this, could be that, depending on how you use it? Well, if the serpent is portrayed by the uh, spiritualistic powers that be as an evil thing, mm -hmm. and well, the one that tempted uh, Eve in the so-called Garden of Eden, um, you can take it for granted that it's Grivda. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's pretty simple. Most things that are portrayed by, you know, by the, the powers that shouldn't be or shouldn't have been as bad probably have something very, 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 very good in them. Right. So, you know, that's my, that's a pretty simple yardstick, you know, as a beginning point. I live in the East where the serpent, the naga, the dragon are positive entities. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've even, you know, and it's not just, it's it's not just in the um, in the conceptual realm. I've got a small vignette, a small sort of anecdotal thing that I'd like to report. Sure. I live I live out in the countryside in 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 my village, and one day as I went to I don't know gather some vegetables, there were two snakes mating, and they were extremely you know normally they're pretty shy. They're going to you know, disappear the moment they see, they sense the presence of a human. But no, they gave me the full display. And it was absolutely extraordinary. They would sort of intertwine themselves and rise. They would raise themselves up, you know, a good meter vertically hmm. in, in this, you know, um, double helix embrace of theirs. And then they would and then they would move further, maintaining their double helix, and then rise up again in a different place. And they kept me, you know, mesmerized like this for quite a while before, you know, finally they decided, okay, I think we think she got the message. We can, yeah. you know, go and do our thing on our, on our own now. Yeah. You know, this is, a, this is a very rare kind of spectacle. But this to me, um, and I've always, ever since living in India, respected snakes. Mm -hmm. I've had snakes living under my house, protecting my house. So for me personally, and living in the cultures of the East, the snakes, the serpents, the dragons are a very powerful um, part of nature. 
And, you know, they're associated with wisdom. Let's take it back to Sophia, yep. whose name means wisdom. Mm-hmm. Okay, we haven't finished really talking about Sophia. We could go on for ages, but there is a really important thing is that Sophia in her fall has the agency of somebody who is falling and who is creating involuntarily a demiurge. After that, once she becomes the planet, she's got no more agency. Mm -hmm. And to this day, you know, Sophia, yes, wisdom, but she's, we are supposed to now protect her. But who gives her agency? Who understands that this is a cosmic consciousness that has taken an embodiment here? Mm-hmm. Exactly the same as us. Right. She's on the same trajectory as we are. We're part and parcel of the same game. Yep. So, you know, for me, it's really important if we want to take the serpent on board. And in the East, it is understood that there is a great dragon inside the earth a great elemental dragon that lives with both fire and water. So this is, you know, the mythology that we're using also has to be understood in, in terms of the agency, the consciousness of our planet. And, you know, anybody who lives in nature and is really involved, not just in walking around, you know, taking forest baths, but actually, you know, involved with the soil, with, you know, managing water and things like that, senses that this planet is not just sentient, but conscious and has agency. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, you know, you you bring the serpent into that paradigm and well, you don't need to have a bad serpent. Right. You don't need to have, you know, that that evil fellow who tempted who tempted Eve. Mm-hmm. But he tempted Eve with the tree of knowledge. So in indirect, this is the Krivda, where the religion tells you that he's a bad guy, yep. but he's tempting her with the tree of knowledge, which has to do with wisdom. So they're not completely modifying the serpent into a completely bad guy. Mm-hmm. Okay? But they're poisoning the aspect of knowledge that the humans are supposed to be retrieving here together with you know with their with their uh, feminine earth counterpart does that make sense that does make sense completely yeah absolutely um you know what one thing i wanted to ask you about is you said that you said something that's really jumped out at me the book you said the scam of krivda is poised to reach its cumulative it's a it's culmination now which to me resonates with me um as more and more people are awakening to not not only the corruption and the deception and the krivda that has shown itself in in world events but also this kind of sense of it seems to be dawning on more and more people that hey there's more going on to this story than i originally thought um and i want to know more i want to understand this a bit better whether or not they're super truth seekers i just think there's people it's dawning on our collective like huh um and what what are you noticing that has you have has you say that the scam of Krivda is is kind of reached its 
its culmination or its apex or what what do you think think is happening right now in our tribe well i mean there was this very sudden acceleration with the beginning of the so-called pandemic mm-hmm. and seeing the panic you know normally intelligent sort of you know analytical people falling into this terrible fear yeah. of this virus. So, you know, we already knew about the scam of the virus theory versus the terrain theory. We already knew about the dangers of vaccines. I mean, those of us who were already, you know, awake to these things. Mm-hmm. But suddenly, that those particular agendas, the agendas of, you know, big poisoning of humankind by false food, Poisoned water, poisoned, you know, um, chemtrails. Yeah, exactly. Geoengineered skies um, and 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 environments, Mm -hmm. and now the big pharma game, and the governments running with the big pharma, Mm -hmm. and you know, every day bringing another piece of news that was, you know, your jaw. By now, my jaw would have dropped to the core of the earth. I think with you know all the all the all the surprises that came every day. Um, I think you know. Luckily for those who were already on the path of seeking what the truth is, we could take these surprises probably with more equanimity, perhaps than than the people for whom it was all very new. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was astonishing, you know, before the awakening of a greater number of people was the sheer number of people who were taken in yep, and, know. you know, uh, who went to get the uh, interesting injections and things like that and who still firmly believe that they have to go and get their seventh booster. I know. So, you know, the, the very sharp, basically self-selection of one category of humans versus the others, those who want to believe in whatever the, you know, powerful priesthoods, mm-hmm. be they secular or religious, uh, tell them to do, and the others, the, you know, the refuseniks and the uh, the doubters and the skeptics and this, that, and the other. So, you know, that was one very, very big, very big indicator. But I've, I mean, I've known for a long time that things are not, what they seem to be. Right. So, uh, you know, just by dint of living the kind, the life that I've had since childhood, where, I mean, I was raised in an unloving family where love was professed every day. Mm-hmm. So the word love for me is loaded. Yep. Um, I was fortunate to go and live in the Soviet Union in my teens Hmm. at the age of 15 I spent three years there and uh, you know as a foreigner I was surveilled all the time but I decided well you know to hell with the surveillance I'm going to live this experience you know to the fullest because you know it's it's a it's a fantastic opportunity and so you know living in the Soviet Union of course it was not you know, you didn't have the abundance of goods. You didn't have all the glittering, you know, um, lit up cityscapes that we have in the West. Mm-hmm. But you didn't have the advertising. 
you had the slogans, you know, very vast banners with these slogans. But by the time I lived there in the 70s, nobody believed in them anymore. They were just, you know, city furniture that nobody looked at. And I encountered a people, peoples, because they're not just Russians, who were very much alive, very bright, very questioning, and with very alive emotions. When I went back to the West, it took me 10 years to get accustomed to the warped emotions in the West. Mm. So, you know, I've grown up from a tender age, constantly discovering that things are not what they seem to be. Um, So, yeah. That's interesting. I've forgotten what exactly your question was. It's okay. No, no, it's all good. Um, You know, you have a unique perspective. We're so inundated here with lies about world events. It's like, you know, the, the deep state uh, controls the information via the, the mainstream media, um, and they control all channels. So unless you're going to be really a, somebody that's curious and is going to dig, it's hard to get, uh, what's going on now. There's, there's social media that's popping up. That's a little bit more truth oriented, let's say. But if you talk to most people in the United States right now, and the conversation is about Ukraine, Russia, you're just going to hear some version of Putin is, you know, the worst kind of human being. Uh, and those poor Ukrainian people, they're just trying to fight for their independence. And and Putin is this, you know, big uh, boogeyman uh, there on the doorstep, pushing himself around. Um, I went out to co- for coffee with a, a, a liberal friend of mine. And, you know, he was he was bemoaning the poor plight of the Ukrainian people and, and, and how, you know, this is just a tragic, uh, you know, overstep, this tyrant is coming in Putin. And, and all I told him was that there's a lot more going on that, that he knows about. And, and when he asked me, he said, you think this is a good thing that Putin is, is doing this? I said, well, I think there's a lot of shades of gray. I don't, I wouldn't say it's good, but I also wouldn't call it bad because the Ukraine is the center of the old uh, uh, Kazarian uh, mobsters, banksters, uh, Soros. There's a lot of, you know, it's a globalist uh, hub of money laundering, uh, trafficking in women and children, uh, you know, you name it, uh, it go, it can flow through the Ukraine. And I think, you know, they're going to show a lot of our corrupt leaders have deep ties there. I'm not saying, uh, Donald Trump does. I'm saying that, the, there's leaders. I think the Biden crime family definitely has, has ties. Um, and so I, I guess, what I wanted to get your thoughts on it because I don't get a chance to talk to somebody that's that's lived in the Soviet Union, lived in Russia, former you know Soviet Union, um, and what what are your thoughts on the Ukraine Russia thing? Because I have a feeling that it's quite different than what I'm hearing people spouting off about from the mainstream media sources, which are you know the worst kind of deception. Well, I mean, yeah. The, the the demonization of Putin is you know of course it's it's the it's the the ploy of of uh, the Western mm. media um, and you know suddenly lots of Western people who you know uh, until this year didn't know anything about the Ukraine suddenly 
the Ukraine becomes their their main topic of compassion. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, no. <laughs> Frankly, let's get serious. Yeah. Now, in geo in geopolitical terms, well, NATO broke its promise to the uh, post-Soviet era Russian leadership that they would not advance uh, across East, uh, Central and Eastern Europe, but they did. So Russia is now on, on, its, uh, on its Western side. It's surrounded by NATO nations and it cannot afford to have Ukraine taken over by NATO. Mm -hmm. um, there was the coup that was engineered by the deep state in 2014 in Kiev. Mm -hmm. um, it is a well-known fact that uh, the Nazi faction is pretty influential, mm -hmm. at least in certain parts of Ukraine, and um, is, is even represented in the parliament. Uh, since 2014, if Putin had wanted to attack Ukraine, he could have done it at any time, basically. Sure. Um, but he didn't. You know, basically, the Russians know that the Ukrainians are their brothers. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the languages, the both languages are pretty close. And, uh, you know, apart from the Nazi faction, there is no enmity, basically, between the Ukrainians and the Russians. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it's not just now that the Nazi faction is becoming very active. It's been very active, you know, for a while. And the Ukrainian people who suffered torture and whatever, torture, I mean, they suffered these things at the hands of the Ukrainian extremists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now Putin is coming in. There are a number of, of things uh, that are at stake. A, it's the, you know, the long border between Ukraine and Russia, which must not, you know, become infested by, by NATO from the security point of view of the sovereign nation of Russia. If, uh, you know, I mean, analysts say if, uh, if the Russians parked a whole bunch of their weaponry along the, on, on the inside of the Mexican-USA border, Right. What would the USA think? It's exactly the same situation. Yeah. So, you know, there's a legitimate sovereignty issue here. It's not a matter of being in favor of war or not being in favor, but also, you know, there's the fact that Ukraine has all these uh, high security biolab weapons, uh, you know, weapon development places. Uh, there's, you know, there was already quite a bit of noise some years back about the biolab installed by the West in Georgia. And now, you know, it's being discovered that there are many more in the Ukraine. Right. So that's a problem. There's also the issue of, you know, for how long can Russia leave its own Russian-speaking uh, brethren in the Donbass area uh, to be, you know, pounded and, uh, and, and destroyed by, by the Ukrainian army? Yep. So, you know, there are so many factors here. Russia basically has a legitimate self-defense, um, legitimate self-defense stakes here. And um, 
the fact that Russia did not attack ever since 2014 has to do with the fact that uh, Russia does not like war. Mm -hmm. The West tends to forget that in the Second World War, Russia lost untold millions. Absolutely. The, yeah. I mean, you know, the estimate is at least 20 million. Yep. Huge. So they, you know, there is not a single family in Russia today that does not have the live memory of having lost one or more members to that Second World War. Yep, for sure. And against, you know, against the fascist regime of, 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 of Hitler. So these are factors that the Westerners do not know, do not understand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if they understood these things, they wouldn't be so easily brainwashed by the propaganda. Yeah. And, what, you know, now, not not, yeah. To, not to oversimplify it, but it seems like, again, it comes down to deep state sociopaths, psychopaths, Nazis against we the people. It doesn't matter which country it's in. I have it in my country. They have it there. I, I think it's. You know, yeah, I just, it, it looks like the same dynamic told over and over again. Once you get, sure. a, you know, it's just, sure. this, it's, it's, it's just, you know, anti-humanist you, agenda at the top. And all of us that are, you know, b- bonded by our mutual humanity, and it doesn't matter which country you're from or which, you know, border you're behind, we have more in common than anybody that's a sociopath or psychopath that has, you know, that's trafficking in, in little people or doing all these, doing all these things. It's like, well, humans wouldn't do that. What exactly are you? (laughs) And if you're not, you know what I mean? So I don't, don't, yeah, yeah. Very correctly said. And so it's our business to understand who are you, who is, who is doing these things? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, in large measure, that's what the book is about. Yes, exactly. You know, and you, oh, go ahead. It's, I didn't interrupt you. it's a matter of realizing that they have apparent huge power that we don't have. Mm-hmm. But why have they been torturing the regular, good, normal humans for millennia? Why? Yeah. You know, if you ask yourself that question, well, uh, you know, if we if we were really as weak and totally gullible and um, you know, totally impotent as, and totally sinful and constantly in need of redemption as they have been portraying us. Well, with all that they've done to us, I think the human race would have become extinct a long time ago. Yep. But we have not become extinct. There's something else at work in us. Exactly. And so it's our job to discover who they are, really, and who we are, really. Yep. I'm simplifying, you know, in the same vein as you, because, you know, we have to we have to bring this down, you know, from the more elaborate sort of analysis. We have to bring it down to the 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 sort of uh, right action slogans that we need, basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, yeah. Who are they and who are we really? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then you you had said something about that caught my eye about the word, the matrix. You said the word matrix is a terrifyingly successful piece of mind programming and word spell. Uh, and 
And I myself have used the word matrix, as does my friends. I mean, we throw it around willy-nilly as a shortcut to, you know, talk about the 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 sort of the spiritual mental programming and false reality that has been sort of um, built around us and that we've maybe also unwittingly participated in by how we think, feel, how we see the world that we've been given a particular version of things that we've adopted as true when um, it hasn't really been investigated, including back to your question of, of who are we, that even that is under um, investigation, you know, and, and, but when you said, you know, don't use that word, it's actually a word that is used against us. I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I have to ask her about this because I am my, I am guilty of participating in that word spill. And I just wanted to find out from you why I shouldn't do that. What, what is the word spill around the matrix? And, uh, and you know, wh- why is that something that, that I got to watch out for and not be conscious of so that I'm not participating in that? Well, the matrix takes us, I mean, the word matrix takes us right back to the feminine that we've been talking about with, uh, with, with Sophia, our planet earth matrix literally means not in English. I don't think the word matrix was ever used to mean womb, Mm. but you've got the equivalent word in Spanish, la matriz, which means the womb of a woman. Mm. Womb out of which you, Tony, came out some time ago and out of which I came out some time ago. Yep. And all the other humans have come out of a womb. And you could consider that our great Earth planet is also a kind of womb, you know, that generates and nurtures all sorts of life forms, including us. So, you know, it's the that's that's the thing that most most people who speak only English and who've not had a classical education, they are not aware of etymology. They do indulge in all sorts of neo etymology. Um, which uh, I'm not always in agreement with, Mm -hmm. but I'll leave that aside for the time being. But matr Mm -hmm. is the, it's the root for mother, for for, um, matriarch, for a matrix. You know, la matrice in French is, is the earlier word for the womb. So basically, we have taken, I mean, the, the people who made that film, which was, you know, the person who actually wrote the script has been coming out and has been fighting for 10 years to reclaim his own intellectual property over the, uh, the story and the, the, the film script. Hmm. And he called it The Immortals. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Yeah. Daniel, Daniel something. Um, it, it escapes me right now. But so, so that's a very interesting, you know, little tidbit. The, the thing that was called the Immortals was is, is named the Matrix. Now this, and the Matrix is the archontic system in which we're imprisoned. Yep. For which we use that shortcut Matrix. Yep. Saying, yes, we're all in the matrix. How are we going to get out of the matrix? Exactly. Um, now, if you, if, you, if you consider that, you understand that some genius 
wordcraft, witchcraft master. Mm-hmm. Figure, yeah, we're going to take that word because they know the etymology of the word matrix. Yep. It belongs with the living feminine that is the nurturer of life and that we need to reawaken in ourselves and to respect in our planet and in the, you know, and in the cosmos, in the universe. And we're going to use that term to apply to the system of entrapment. Mm. And they could do it via mathematics because it is used. It is used in the language of mathematics and algebra to express a kind of grid that generates you know, whatever things mathematicians play, play with, you know, I don't know the details, but right. it has transitioned from being a, a living thing that generates life in particular in, you know, let's consider that wombs and nature, they don't do numbers. They don't do mathematics, right. Right. but this has been a adopted into mathematics, which is an abstract representation of reality that is a very useful tool in science. I'm not denying that, but it cannot claim to represent the real reality of life and what generates and nurtures life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and from could, there, yeah. from there, it could be taken into, you know, the world of film, of movies, where it was adopted as a very successful word to denote, you know, the archontic, archontic system of entrapment. Right, and everybody, everybody has taken has taken over the term. It, it, my, you know, my womb, <laughs> my postmenopausal yeah. womb bleeds. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it, to your point, the 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 word spell. If I like, I don't know how much I thought of the the womb, the generated generative uh, biological feminine. Uh, I don't know how much I thought of that day to day relative to the archontic prison, but certainly after the movie, the matrix and have seen it 12 times, uh, my, my thought process would be more thinking about the archontic reality and the simulated reality of the archons and the, and the AI uh, and the ability to create uh, imagery that's taken to be um, um, deeply real, more so than I would the biological planet. Like it just supplants my thinking process and my consciousness in a way that I'm not even aware of. Right. Right. I think, yes. I, th- I, think yes. I can have it both ways. I can talk about the matrix, the different layers of the movie and the metaphors and the hero's journey and blah blah blah. Uh, and I could still hold on to my my Gnostic beliefs about Sophia and the divine feminine and the, and, and all that. But it, but the fact of the matter is that it starts to crowd out the, in my consciousness, it crowds out the feminine without me being aware of it. Is it crowds what? out reality. Yes. I mean, it crowds out reality. The, yeah. Because the demiurge mm-hmm. being an imposter God, that's the other most important thing to constantly remember is that it is not creative. It can right. only simulate. It's an expert at simulation, yep. simulation, falsification. I mean, you know, the different shades of Krivda. Yeah. That's, that's the expertise of those people. So we are basically in a school. I don't like to use the word school, because we're not really in a school, but we are in a, let's say, a training ground yep. that is afforded to us by our, by our very real mother planet mm-hmm. 
womb planets, if you like, you know, so, as a metaphor, um, to rediscover what is true amongst all the layers of Krivda. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, it becomes a fascinating game. Once you're no longer crushed by it, it's, it's fascinating. It's yes. very, very, it's a very, very motivating, you know, life pursuit. And once you start being infected with the truth rather than the Krivda, mm-hmm. you also regain your power. You also come closer to sensing who you are. And when you start sensing who you are, you get a better sense of hmm, what they are. So, but the main thing that you have so correctly emphasized, pointed out and emphasized is the business about the simulation. Mm -hmm. And we are now reaching this end point of their end game where they want to trap us in a completely real simulation, which will completely displace reality, completely. Yeah. So far, so far, we still have reality. We can still grow our own veggies. We can still, you know, hug another human and know that it's a real other human and it's a real hug. Right. But once you're in the metaverse, you're giving, you know, you're giving and getting virtual hugs. And I, you know, um, that's terrifying. It is very terrifying. I know. Um, Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming on Basecamp for Men and sharing your wisdom and your insights. We're going to, I'll make sure in the outro, I give them your, uh, your website and where to find you. Um, is there any last, uh, any last thoughts you want to give us before we sign off today? Wow. We've covered quite a lot of ground. We did. Yeah. But you know, am I, uh, we are living in truly apocalyptic times and yeah. a lot of us are not going to make it. But those of us who cherish cherish reality down to its simplest forms of expression, um, there's, there's a new joy. There's a new kind of joy that is welling up, at least in some of us. We, st- we, you know, I, I speak for myself, you know, I grieve every day for what is being killed, what is being poisoned, what is being lost. But at the same time, there is this joy that comes from, you know, the ability to live in real reality and to uh, connect with other people like you who are, you know, after the same goal. You know, it's it's so good to be together, um, even if it's just, you know, remotely like we are forced to do now. Yeah. It's so good to know that there is this new tribe of humans who are in the process of discovering who they really are. And it cannot, I mean, the really fundamental truth of it cannot be conveyed in words. Yeah. Since we are the microcosm that is totally equivalent to the macrocosm of the anthropos up there in the, in the, you know, in the pleroma. Mm-hmm. If we can take that as our foundational truth, perhaps, then we have to go and discover inside ourselves what the hell it is. And we must not be paralyzed by the fact that there is no word for it. These experiences are ineffable. Um, you know, until such time as we can start communicating telepath- telepathically about it. 
or invent a new language, like I'm pretty sure in very remote times, one of the first editions of the human species had the language for the subtle world in which we, in which we're immersed. So, you know, we're at the beginning of a really exciting journey now. Absolutely. We've been, we've been given really the harshest form of training the most soul-crushing form of training, but we have needed that. And we need that. I mean, you know, we, more and more humans to be able to, you know, move on into the next version of us, which I'm not going to call human 2.0. Right, right. No, that would be our contact, right? <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> I mean, I mean, even human 1.0, that is once again, that's an archontic name. Yep. And it and it 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 completely ignores all the previous versions of us that have come, you know, through from time immemorial that we may be able to access through remote viewing or whatever, you know. Right, right. But there's so much about us that we don't know. And that we're only going to find those answers non-verbally inside ourselves. And the more we go there, the more joy there is, the more ability there is for empathy for all those who are suffering, but without having to carry their cross, basically. I mean, you know, they are on their own journey. We are, that's the paradox also of being individuals individuating in the Jungian sense. And at the same time, all being bearers of something of the collective human species. So, you know, we've got all these seemingly dualistic paradoxes that we also have to resolve inside ourselves. You mentioned, you know, there was a, a thing that you said earlier on about something very dualistic. Oh, yes, the truth and the lies. But we have to be able to be the third term of the equation that harmonizes the polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Exactly like dusk and dawn harmonize night and day. You know, part of our job is to be that third term. Anyway, I'm throwing lots of things. No, it's all good. It's all good. But my wife's my wife's waving at me to get off and tie it up because dinner's ready. So I'm gonna go ahead and sign yeah, off yeah, with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah. so I so appreciate your time and your wisdom. I loved your book. We'll we'll tell everybody where to find you. But thank you so much, Anna, for coming on. Um, I feel like you're a kindred spirit. I feel like we could sit around the campfire and talk all night about all kinds of stuff. So thank you. Sure, so, yeah. Thank you so you're much welcome. for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you very much, Tony. Well, I hope you enjoyed the second half of my interview with Anna Retort. As someone who used to throw around the phrase, the matrix, I will be reconditioning myself knowing that the word has etymological roots in womb, mother, and other associations with the feminine principle. And I also hope that the question of who are they, these deep state globalists at the top, and who are we as we the people, is a question you can sit with and investigate with an open mind. I promise you, if you do, you're going to start to figure all this out. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Men, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. 
I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.